Today's guest is Amber Chapman. This is your host, Kim Nitschke. Today, I sat down with Amber Chapman and we reflected on what it's like to be a business leader, a business therapist in Adelaide. Amber has a pretty amazing story to tell. She's run the Almond Bar Groovy Cafe in the Holland Street Markets in Adelaide. That led to becoming the employment guru person for the Argo Cafe, which is another coffee shop come cafe bar in Adelaide, which has got a thriving business model and has over 100 employees. She set up a new co-working space in the eastern end of Adelaide. She is a real dynamo, and I think that you'll really be able to get a lot out of today's interview. Her last 12 months has been absolutely horrendous. She touches on that. She's been through a number of personal, really sort of tough challenges. Um, And at the end of it, she's come through a much stronger person. And she talks about those challenges that she's faced and how she's overcome them. Anyway, let's get stuck into the show. Just one more thing before we do. Please, 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 if you can, go to our iTunes store. I think you might even be able to do it while you're listening to this podcast. Don't do it if you're driving, obviously. But if you can, give us a five-star review. That's really good for our ratings, and it pushes us up into the top 100 business podcasts in Australia. Thanks again, and I hope you enjoy the show. This is the Accounting Insider Show. So this is another thing that a lot of investors are unaware of. There's got to be an easier way. It's achievable for anyone. It doesn't cost anything to set up a business. Because there are many great ideas out there, but it's the people that make ideas happen. Because once you unlock this formula, there's no reason to stop. You just get better and better at it. You just make so much money out of it. Today I'm sitting down with Amber Chapman. Now, Amber, um, I've got to paint the whole story here because we are sitting... Now, let's, let's go back before that. I think we met four weeks ago um, at an, a, a banking breakfast at Adelaide Oval. Um, you weren't actually the guest speaker, but someone that you're closely assimilated with was on stage. And there were about four or five people on stage. And I just remember that I was hanging on every word that this one guy was saying. And after the actual event, I just made... A, a, you know, a, a commitment in my own mind that I was going to go up and speak to him because I had to follow him up because he was a guy from Adelaide who looked like he was in his 20s. He was running this coffee shop, um, come restaurant, come, I don't know, whatever the hell it was, but it had like 100 staff and he'd set it up seven years ago and it was phenomenal. And every time I go there, I can never get a seat. I'm blown away by what's on the menu. Anyway, I did make that commitment to go up and talk to him afterwards, but you were right by his side and he was just singing your praises. So um, that led to us having this great conversation and I was blown away by you being an inspirational entrepreneur. Um, We got talking Um, he gave me books to read, I've gone out and I've read them, I'm just so caught up in the momentum of this whole story and you're a big part of that and he just sings your praises. So I've got to calm down, like I'm getting too excited. um, So Amber, thanks for coming on the show. Um, You are a dynamo, an entrepreneur and I'm not saying all this lightly but, you know, 
I had to press record. We were having this great conversation. I said, I've got to record this because there's just too much stuff that's coming up. Um, so I've got to calm myself down. Business therapist, that's what your business is called. That's what you do. You coach businesses. I'm all about businesses. Um, you are talking to businesses about ways that they can improve. Let's go right back to the start. You're an Adelaide girl. You studied at Pembroke. Tell us a bit about that. Well, I, I was surrounded, I guess, at Pembroke with lots of people that uh, were motivated and great students and always had a bit of a uh, plan in mind of what they wanted to do. Uh, I didn't. I never I never knew. I sort of did a broad uh, spattering of arts subjects and uh, had a really strong interest in psychology uh, for a while there and then hated the stats. I just couldn't deal with that, so moved on from there. And... Yeah, I just I never knew exactly what I wanted to do, but I, I've always been intrigued with human behaviour and and leadership and and you know just acquiring more knowledge uh, in an, in a general way. And I had I guess um, a yeah a lot of different multifaceted jobs. I coached children in gymnastics through a lot of schools in Adelaide. Uh, I worked in a gym for a little while. I ended up being I had I was a croupier. I did I did a real mix um, of part time jobs. I my uh, parents certainly set me up to to have a strong work ethic and, and take up work really early on. Uh, and then I, uh, when I worked in my sister's legal practice for a little while as well, and that was fantastic grounding. Uh, you know, just learning all of that administration side of the business really early on was was key, I think, for me. And then I got a job at the Adelaide Festival Centre, and it was in admin. And I just realised that it had a few more components to it than admin. And so I, I remember going to the director and asking him to rename my position to operations coordinator, which was at 18 a pretty bold step. But um, I had a good relationship with him and, and that that sort of fell into place. So I, I took a little bit more of a sort of senior role, I guess, there. And, and then I uh, um, worked with Oxfam, so another uh, sort of not-for-profit, not dissimilar to the arts sector, I guess, a big humanitarian organisation. And, uh, you know, as you know, with... Big organisations, you get exposure to a lot of training, uh, a lot of tiers of management, and I was always just in, interested in what the leadership space was doing, I always have been. And so I guess that led me, um, well, before it sort of led me to the pathway of having my own business and the business therapist um, you know, approach that I've got now, in between all of that, just the, the, around the story with Daniel, do you want me to talk about that? For a, for a um, I do, but not just yet. Okay. Can we please... <laughs> Kim's going to have to steer me because I... Yeah, talking is... A <laughs> I don't want to get out of sequence and I've got so much I want to cover and we've okay. only got limited time. Yes. However, can we please start with the Walnut Bar? Ah, yes. Describe okay. to us what the Walnut Bar was and where it was located and what your mindset was behind setting up the Walnut Bar. Because this is... For the for people out there who don't know, this is an iconic... Uh, thing that was set up in Adelaide and I mentioned it to someone before we um, lined up meeting today and they knew all about it and they used to go there to get their almond milk so you were the person you were the brains behind that can you please step us into the almond bar world yes yeah yeah uh well some people say the connection is just that it was all about nuts and I'm a bit nuts but apart from that uh uh the the quick backstory to that is that uh, I actually got quite ill. Um, do you want that bit first? Yes, or, yes, okay, I need yeah. to know so, the background. So I, and, and it'll obviously all link up with how I fell into food and, and hence my connection with Daniel um, and the Argo store as well. But uh, I got quite unwell. I, I 
was working with Oxfam, uh, had been there for nine years and uh, got very, very unwell and had just sort of burnt out in, in a whole number of ways really and spent about eight months off work, which was torturous because I loved work and I've always, my identity's always been created around sort of what I do. Um, anyway, I was forced to find out how I can just be by, by laying in bed for eight months and, and trying to work out what was going wrong with me. And it was a complex illness and you'd need another hour to, to learn all about that. But, but essentially, I was sort of stopped in my tracks a bit after um, being sick for all that time and my seven-year-old son sort of turning to me and saying, well, I just asked him to do something simple, put his shoes away. And he turned to me and said, what do you care anyway? You're just going to die or we're all going to die. And I realised then that he'd, he'd sort of faced death, you know, the prospect of death, I guess, quite early, just through watching my journey and me being, becoming very unwell and, and being quite uncertain about what was happening to me. And I was quite uncertain about what was happening to me. So it was a really scary time. Uh, but I, I guess I realised then that we we don't have all that long uh, and, you know, to find meaning in what we do, that's where true happiness comes from. And I've always been in contribution kind of well, roles that, that are helping people or customer service based or staff based um, and always trying to improve things uh, in, in that way. And, yeah, I guess I just wanted to go out on my own after after that. Uh, that role came to an end. I did actually return to work at Oxfam uh, and that role came to an end and then I knew I, I needed to just carve my own way. So I started Markets, which from an entrepreneur, I guess, that you know, entrepreneurship and that word's been around forever, but that true, you know, make something out of nothing and start with a really lean startup approach, I... Yeah, I, I guess I just embraced that and through the through the journey with my health, uh, changed my diet. I wasn't particularly unhealthy anyway, but I gave up gluten. Um, I was already emitting dairy from my diet and it made a massive, massive difference to recorrecting my health. And I just started cooking and that, I guess, became my therapy in, in, in many ways and started these market stalls. So I did a couple down at you know Henley Beach, Brighton. They were all organic uh, food, and you know met amazing array of people. Sort of got really connected in that community, and then came together with um, a woman called Tanya, who was a recipe developer, and you know um, embraced the gluten dairy free approach. And we started the Walnut Bar, and you know the Walnut Bar represented brain food, I guess, uh, and you know high high density. Um, you know, nuts are just a, a source of protein that I that my body could tolerate, as opposed to milk protein and gluten, which is a which is a kind of protein. And we we yeah decided to do a nut milk and burger bar, and and just you know try and come up with what would be unexpected and unique in terms of you know burgers typically being made of bread and and uh, milk bars being made of milk. So we just sort of flipped that on its head and. Yeah, started small. We ended up getting a great following and great sort of traction through through that market. Um, but more importantly, just made great relationships with a lot of people. People would come in and start to share their story about their own health and and part with really intimate details about their digestion and all that kind of thing. And yeah, it it, it was uh, it was a great way to spend a Sunday. Uh, and it yeah involved my whole family in the end. So my kids and and my husband were all were all part of that. But market life and market stalls are, you know, really, really hard, really tough. And to to keep um, trading just one day a week without being able to sort of flow on stock and, you know, not have food wastage and that kind of thing is really tricky. So, 
So we wrapped that up in the end. What were the burgers made of? So we made. Um, so we ended up. We ended up actually source. We we, so we started really confidently making our own buns, and then we got busy. Um, and classic situation. We just sort of couldn't keep up with that production. So we used almond meal to make the buns and um, egg whites, and they were really fluffy, lovely. Like you know, our customers really loved our own homemade buns. Uh, so I've got the recipe for that. <laughs> but, uh, what, what, then, but what about the patties? So we used kangaroo and we made a, We also made a chickpea-based um, vegetable yeah, burger as well. So And then just beautiful salads like beetroot and, you know, greens and uh, a mixture of things. So the queues were long? Uh, yeah, well, our people would wait because, our, you know, to, to do really sort of, you know, homespun food from scratch is, is time-consuming. We made our milk. We... we uh, would make our almond milk fresh in the morning, get in there early and start doing that. All hand squeezed. So, you know, not we weren't using any sort of, you know, machines other than just to grind up the the almonds and the water. And then we just came – well, Tanya was fantastic, so she really developed a lot of the the um, the, the breadth of flavours. So we, we had sort of chocolate-based milk and cinnamon and I came up with a nut nog, so instead of an egg eggnog. Yeah, and that was – that was fun. Like it was just there's there's no limit to all of that stuff. Um, so I could go in there on a Sunday, have a nut, n- a nut milk or nut a nut milk, nog or a nut nog. Yep. And then I could get a kangaroo burger burger with almond bread. Yes, yeah. Almond the bread, buns, the, bread yeah. the bread was made with yeah yeah almond milk. Yep. That sounds phenomenal. And then we started sourcing sort of other South Australians that have, you know, got on board with the gluten-free range. So we, we used Enzo's bread for a while there and, um, uh, yeah, and then he'd just drop it off fresh in the morning for us and wow. for our burger buns. And you could, get, you could get scale then. Yeah, and a lot of people uh, would go with and do naked burgers, so they'd go without the bun. So oh. we just do, yeah, just do the bear burger. Of, piece of meat. That's right. Well, and the salad and, you know, just do a pack like that. And then we made sort of bliss balls and things. And, of course, you know, you see this kind of food everywhere uh, now and it's, you know, it's got real traction and it's growing and that's a great thing because it's nutrient-dense. And But you, know, you were like, I think that, fair to say, you're so ahead of everyone else that they probably thought you were mad. Uh, we would have a lot of people... Well, we ended up, I mean, initially, of course, we attracted people that were really conscious of what they were eating and they, knew, they they were seeking gluten and dairy-free food. But in the end, we would have, obviously, customers that were coming to us just for the pure taste and enjoyment of our food. And that's where it gets exciting for us. That That's what was motivating for us because it, it's not about diet. It's just actually about sourcing good food and eating well. And that, that sort of should cater to everyone. Um, and then it turns out that people then would discover that it was actually maybe better for their digestion uh, or, you know, that it'd have other benefits that perhaps, you know, cutting back on ordinary bread that was difficult for them to digest and whatever. So um, I guess just marrying it up with that passion of, uh, you know, what, what food does to us as well and that it's our fuel and, mm. and you know, that kind of thing. And, and that kind of way of eating also means that you can eat less ultimately because it does satisfy you. So, yeah. Mm. My so, stomach's rumbling as we're talking about this. Yeah, well, um, and we got we got excited about you know presentation and um, you know it, it was, it's a really beautiful market. The the owners that set it up there done a great job bringing in you know a real variety of people that that yeah are all passionate about sustainable food. Okay, moving along, um, can we talk about Argo, please? Sure. So uh, again, it was actually through the connection um, with Tanya when I was working with her. Uh, she'd. She had, you know, reason to be connected through food with with Daniel and the and the Milky family, and 
I, I ended up sort of talking to them about some nut milk recipes. So that's sort of the initial interaction. Then uh, I kind of just, I'm a, I'm a real, I, I just think life is all based on the quality of the questions you ask. So I asked Daniel a lot of questions about what else was going on there and, you know, sort of found out that, um, that he's really generous, you know, with his information and, uh, you know, keen to sort of learn. So he's always keen to just talk to new people. And we talked about his HR situation and just staffing and, you know, with, with an outfit like that and, you know, he's now got over 100 casual staff. There's just an enormous amount of turnover with um, young people that, you know, start work and then move on and that kind of thing. So just in terms of systemising and compliance and things like that with the business like that, and because I had some experience uh, in previous roles setting up policies and, you know, handbooks and all of that sort of stuff that goes behind the scenes, and, and they're so busy there on the, on the tools. Uh, and that struck me as really interesting as well that, that was what five years down the track they were still the family is still so hands-on and so not surprisingly some of that systemizing in the background was suffering a bit so I, I yeah I just helped out I started to help out with that uh, and then you know since then our relationship's just grown with a shared interest in in both the end product but how you get there that whole journey um, with staff and yeah, and you know, creating a business from scratch. So we we did a lot of stuff retrospectively that can that needs to happen often with a business that's got traction, got really busy, got and really it's popular, growing too fast. Correct. Yeah. I think I just need to tell a couple of stories about Dan. Um, I remember he gave a talk um, that we met at, and I remember talking to him afterwards, and he said that the talk I think started at. I got there late. I think it well, started. So did I. So one quick funny thing about that is I got there late. It was at, it was it was a raining morning. The Adelaide Oval is like a nightmare to um, bless Adelaide Oval. But if your talk is in a room where you don't know where the room is and you get in the lift and you go to the wrong car park, anyway, I was like sweating but wet and running and racing and super late. Then realised I was on the front table because I was sort of set amongst the speakers. Everyone was all sitting down. I've sort of bustled in. I'm one of these annoying gluten-free people that need the special breakfast, you know. And I, I, I sort of arrive at the table and there's one empty seat left there and it's right next to the captain of the crows, so, <laughs> who's, who's also one of the other speakers. And so I sort of plonked myself down and I, I couldn't help but say, oh, shit, you know, if I knew I was sitting next to you, I would have got here a whole lot earlier. Like, <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I sort of, yeah, sl- sort of slotted into to where I was meant to in the end and mum was very disappointed that I didn't get some sort of, you know, happy snap with the crows play because she's a big fan. But, you know, I'm... We're there for a purpose. We we got on with what we needed to do in the end. Great. Um, anyway, I think it started at 7, and I think I got there at 7.30. But Daniel said that his dishwasher had already broken down in the restaurant that morning and he'd already fixed it. So God knows what hour he would have got up at. So like, let's just say 5 o'clock, he's in hands-on as the owner of the business fixing machinery that's broken down before he has to go and give a keynote address, I just was blown away by that. I mean, what a what a, what a um, story about his work ethic, <clears throat> his um, you know his his early morning starts. I just couldn't believe it. Anyway, the other story <clears throat> um, about him was he told me to read a book called I think it's called My Iceberg Is Melting. Yes. Yep. Yep. Have you read that well, book? Another, yeah, another one in the sequence, I think, is Who Moved My Cheese is another one he's a fan of um, to give to staff often, yeah. So he, he said to me that, and you know the details of this, but 
before a staff member starts or as soon as they start, they have to read the four books that he recommends. He said to me that he quizzes them on the books. It's really important that they read the books. I think another one is the four questions. The four agreements. Four yes. agreements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We sort of have factored it into the induction packs and things now. So it gives staff an immediate insight, I guess, or and then us um, to, uh, uh, an ability to sort of reflect on their own, you know, um, approach to change and and how they might, well, you know, just just their own their own will, you know, their own reflections, I guess. Uh, and so they've got a bit more of an open open mind, uh, you know, to the to the training that's ahead of them, potentially. So we're having this conversation. He said, come into the coffee shop, or whatever he calls it. <clears throat> he said, order, order whatever you want, and then if I'm not serving, ask for me, and I'll come and sit with you, and we'll have a chat. I'm thinking, how many thousands of people would he say that to? He's, he's just like... Um, and then, then I heard another story where someone was after a marketing job and he knew the local member for the, the state um, representative for the Liberal Party and they were looking for a marketing person and so Daniel lined up the job and he didn't actually know this person. You know, so he's got his finger in so many different pies yeah. and he's so well connected. Yeah. Um, well, so the benefit of having sort of a front-facing coffee machine where where you're, you know, all of that's quite strategic in the store as well, um, you know, to be sort of, you know, accessible accessible to your community what do you think the, the secret to his success has been like why i'm asking that is because there's thousands of coffee shops restaurants eateries in adelaide why is his like a shining light well like there's no there's no one people ask this question a, a bit actually and and look sheer hard work is part of it there's no question about that uh and and it it sounds like a cliche, but... Well, it does, yeah, but it, I mean, it's, they it's, grew up in delis with um, their dad, you know, and they'd come home after school and, uh, you know, they'd just be working solidly. And, you know, there was no... He t- tells a story about... Um, I don't know if he shared this one up before I got there to this breakfast, but about, you know, the royal show. Their royal show was getting a bag and walking around their deli and speaking out some lollies because they never went to the royal show. You know, they, they, they just... They were just... So they wouldn't actually physically go to the royal no, show. No, they would they, stay that royal working. show week was just sort of being able to help yourself or whatever. <laughs> and, they, they weren't allowed to do that normally. It was only special occasions. They yeah, I, I, I could imagine they definitely weren't allowed to. I mean, I didn't know them back then, but the, the, I've certainly, yeah, been privy to a lot of stories. And, and I've met Nev and, um, and Ava and, you know, they're, they're a hard-working uh, family and they've instilled that in all of their eight kids. <laughs> um, but but that, 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 sorry, but that also tells me, just interrupting, that they were very cautious with money. Well, well I think their life became their work uh, – and they didn't have time to spend their money. So like, it's just, well, it goes hand in hand, well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. You just, you know, um, it was more about, I don't think it was necessarily in the pursuit of money. It's just more about the pursuit of having... Excellence. Yeah, having sort of, uh, well, and creating community, like wherever they are or wherever they've been. And there's, the family still have a, have a deli at St Agnes. Um, you know, there's strong relationships with that community up there and... and and that desire to stay involved and not um, set it up for staff and then move on, that's what struck me as well when I met them. And, and that part of my first sort of lot of suggestions to Daniel w- w- was to get off the coffee machine, you know, and step back because to really um, redirect things, it's just going to be a bit easier and, to, you know, to, 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 step, you know, to step back and get out more. And actually also that, those realisations that occurred to me that, 
you've got to there's other things and outside of the store is where the magic happens as well and and he did start to um, spend time away from the store he went to Stanford I think it was it was definitely over a year ago now and that was that they were real awakenings for him because I think the expectation from the family is that he would just stay there forever in those four walls and of course he's got burning desire to do other things and the learning always happens in those in-between moments so part of the you know ability to scale and do different things has come from leaving the store and not being there all the time. But yeah, that you know, creating a community is what is more what they do rather than serving food. The, the other thing that occurred to me was he said um, he wanted to put me on a a reading program where he suggests books for me to read. Now I haven't got through the first four, but he said his house is at the back of the 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 the, the, the shop, and he said I've got thousands of books there. And I'll get you to read some books that I like. Now, w- like reflecting on that afterward, my learning from that was, and, and I find this is like a recurring theme, when you speak to a, no- a number of people, another person like this is Phil Harris, they're always reading these books and that's filling their head with all of these ideas. And when you have a conversation with them, it's not like talking to a normal person. They're at another level because of the, you know, the stuff that they're you tipping. draw on more, yeah. The, the fertiliser that they're putting on their brain is leading them down a whole different, um, you know, it's just creating yeah. a whole new mindset for them which they operate in. It's like they're operating above everyone else. I've like noticed that with, with, with these people that are that are um, readers like him. Would you? Well, I think it's become more respite. So he'll work, at, you know, long hours at the shop and come back and flip into a book uh, and, you know, make some notes or, you know, often his books have got um, – in fact, oh, I gave him my bookcases in the end. He ended up getting so many books. I had sort of these spare bookcases and ended up trucking them over to his house in Dev's uh, van and so he could sort of set this wall up in his bedroom of all these books. Um, and um, he he's uh, he'll often sort of finish a long day and read in those in-between moments and I think it's relaxation as much as, you know, content acquisition – uh, but yeah, he's got a hungry, hungry desire to learn and to be agile in business. I think you need to be, you know, sort of feeding yourself, as you said, like fertilizing. That's a nice way to, to look at it. But you, in my view too, you also need to not be, um, and I'm, I'm a bit guilty of this, over-consuming. Like I'm a little bit of a conference junkie and that kind of stuff too because they're motivating, you know, mm. because you're hearing people's stories all the time. That's what books are doing. And it gets you off screens reading a book. You know, there's a few things there that I think would be the basis for him reading as much as he does, yeah. Uh, he runs some barber shops. Can you, you know, can you please just, before we get into that, I just want to know what your um, connection is with that, or even if you can just tell us a bit about it. But you were just telling me before I press record about one that's only about 100 metres from here. It's a yes. hole in the wall. Yes, there's two chairs in there. Can you just describe that for us, please? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, so he, he sort of... Uh, came into a, um, a barber sort of syndicate, if you like, I guess, uh, where a couple of chaps, well, in fact, a cousin of his and someone else, um, a former footy player, I think, um, have set up, you know, barber shops all, all, all around Adelaide and the, they're, they're growing uh, and they've all got a bit of a different look and feel. Um, but uh, just, just quickly on that barber space, I mean, that was something that was really popular ages ago. Hairdressers then sort of moved into that space. Now barber's fashionable again, they've come back. And I think they're positioning themselves to sort of be that middle ground between um, the short back and sides, which is a popular thing at the moment, to, but to be also have that a little bit more of a hairdressing potential element or, or growing into that um, that gap um, in the future. So 
He's part of that from an operational perspective uh, to to coordinate some of the systemising in the background and the staffing and a lot of what we've put in place at Argo. You know, he can then just assist in that way with and lead, you know, in that way with the barbershops. But, the, yeah, this cool little one just not far from here in Union Street – uh, yeah, it's it's all it's all kind of themed. Moon Man, it's called, and the fit out's just yeah beautiful, and it's been done by Edna, the wife of um, yeah one of one of the owners, and she's done a great job. So she's also fit out our space here where we're sitting today. Well, part of it, yeah, really, really talented, and just you know uh, only a spot for two, but you know that whole you can create community in in a really smaller meaningful way in just these moments of getting a haircut <laughs> you know and I think creating spaces uh to accommodate that and opportunities for conversations is yeah is a great thing um now <clears throat> just changing tack you also run a mentoring group for guys in their 20s I'm way too old At the, yeah well we will do it we'll do it We'll do an aged <laughs> or oh, something. We'll have to sort of make that name sound a whole lot more attractive. Um, well, so far, what, because you, know, you kindly put Daniel, we please, you put him in his 20s. He's, he's, he's over 30, but only just. And, but he does obviously, you know, have a lot of people come through the doors at Argo. And uh, so he's had um, reason, and, th- and through staff, just reason to meet a lot of young guys that, that are all, who all got aspirations to start their own business and that kind of thing. So Daniel sort of gets people in the front door and then we talk about, you know, how, how we can help and support them. And we've started a little Wednesday night uh, monthly group. And, yeah, I guess average age is about 28, which, which from my observation is about when people start to potentially really reflect on their, their life journey. Uh, that certainly happened f- for, for me, I guess. Well, and Yeah. Uh, so anyway, we... we get together we we kind of put a bike up on the on the whiteboard and two wheels I sort of use this model quite a bit with clients but one wheel is and it's not going to be you know foreign to many of you I'm sure but one wheel is all around the the elements of a business and and the other wheel is all around the elements of you know you as a person and and your own you know areas of life I I divide them up into seven areas um, around spiritual health family social finance um, you know your personal relationships and so on mental space around learning and and there for me if we're you know if we're kind of winning in a few of those areas or we're you know we're reflecting on those areas and giving I guess the right amount of energy to those areas and that being the back wheel of the bike then then the front wheel which is the elements of your business will will reflect success and so that however well you're traveling personally will actually steer and direct and drive how well you're traveling professionally so we put up those two wheels and we said to them, you know, a lot of you will probably be here to get sort of, you know, business tips and tricks and, you know, they're sitting there with Daniel thinking, oh, he's got a successful business and can we learn about how to get something started and they've got their own startup ideas and that kind of thing. And and then I, t- I talked sort of more about the personal wheel and got them to reflect on their last year and how well they felt they were going in those areas uh, and then what that happiness, I guess, means to people as well. And you know, out of the whole group, 100% of them, we sort of said, look, we can start, you know, running content on the in these sessions around business stuff or the personal stuff, which would you prefer? They all wanted the personal work, all of them, which was a surprise, um, but it's, fantastic. It's because, a business group, isn't it? Yeah, well, more, that's right, but they, they sit together. I mean, and, 
so we're ending up, yeah, and a lot of them are personal trainers and, you know, wanting have got ideas about their own little business arrangements and things like that. But um, so we've gone from sort of them working out to working within, kind of like, you know, you sort of, they work out on their bodies, but I sort of talk about needing to work in, mm-hmm. inward. Uh, and that will set the, the you know, the, 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 I guess the foundation for, for your business being successful. And, and they happen, you know, constantly and simultaneously. But otherwise you get what I call the penny farthing effect where you'll get that big massive front wheel and you'll get the little wheel behind. Uh, and that's what happened to me. You know, that's how I burnt out. Like I just, it was all about work. It was all about, you know, how I was perceived in that area and who I was and a few really grounding experiences at the health one in particular, but some more this year have called, pulled me right back to appreciate that that personal space is actually what drives the business space. Amber, I know this is a personal question, but can we just touch on what's happened in your life in the last 12 months? Yeah, well, I, I kind of call it the oh, now. I mean, I've had to sort of get find some sort of, um, uh, you know, a new framework to reflect on it, otherwise it gets a bit heavy. But uh, the three Ds, so I had a diagnosis earlier this year with my son diagnosed with Asperger's, uh, and he's 14, so that we came pretty late um, for him to, to you know, um, have this sort of determined for him that that's, that's part of what he's been dealing with and been confused about for, for some time and really struggling this year in particular with school. And so we, we sort of had that, on, had that to deal with. And then um, death came our way with my brother taking his life, sadly, in July. Uh, and that, that pretty much knocked the stuffing, you know, out of out of me for sure uh and then divorce well that will be coming up because then i ascertained that my husband had been having an affair it's always a good thing uh not not in the same year as everything else it's not anyway and so i've had sort of a separation unfold as well and it's been yeah it's been a lot to a lot to process and yeah because you know you can either get around with sort of a chip on your shoulder or, you know, have, have those stories. It's how you tell your stories, I think, to yourself that will ultimately, um, you know, be the story that, that you are. So, but, but I think there's people out there that automatically can relate to you now because these battles, you know, a lot of them, everyone's going through and they're not talked about. Um, but would you say that's made you a better business person as a result of having all of working through all of those personal issues? Yeah, I mean, I've always reflected on, and even from an interview stage, that that personal element of um, for people, but it's made me reflect on that more. It's it's made me um, more vulnerable. I talk about strength and vulnerability, you know, going together, uh, which is why the ram. I'm probably digressing a little bit here, but it's a little bit of a symbol for me that, um, <laughs> and for Daniel too. It's funny we're, we're we're both Aries, but we both share this sort of common interest in. In, well, we're drawn to Rams. They, they, they resonate with us for whatever reason. And we, I've actually called these, this men's group, this young group, um, the Rams. Um, but um, they, for me, they represent strength and vulnerability. They've got such a purposeful job to do a Ram. You know, you let them into a paddock and they've got to sort of do their thing and they, they know what they need to do. And, but they're also highly vulnerable, you know. Imagine just getting, you know, they've got, they've got to go in there and meet a whole lot of yous and achieve a job and, you know, uh, it, it, it's... They, they sort of reflect this this beautiful dual thing that that I feel is such a reality in business, um, and um, and and also making mates. You know, just going out and making mates quickly in business is such a key a key thing to success as well. So I sort of use the ram as a bit of a yeah, getting off, off off track, and then things like you know ramifications <laughs> if you don't actually follow through with your own purpose and your own vision and 
and that sort of thing. But sorry, just to answer your question in terms of the personal space, it's it's where that professional and personal um, growth, I guess, butts heads um, is is exactly where the magic happens. And and so I'm often trying to steer things back to that point um, because I, I I think it yeah it leads to it leads to growth. You're launching into something about interviewing techniques, which a lot of the listeners will find really useful. Can you please take us down that track? Yeah, yeah. I thought I just might share this because um, it sort of helps with the staff journey generally. And it's something we introduced um, uh, with some of the yeah Argo interviews and what and some work I do with other clients. But essentially, a head, heart, hand model I call it for a method of inter- interviewing, which. It sort of frames questions around, so just on the head point, you know, their thinking, which you can ascertain, you know, from, um, uh, you know, certain questions, are, you know, to sort of gauge, I guess, the quality of someone's capacity to, to think and use their brain and mind, which are two different things. That's a topic for another day, the difference between brain and mind and and, and, and people's skills in that way. Um, the, the heart factor refers to their care factor. So, so in that regard, questions that uh, are designed to, ascertain how much people care and then the hand we talk about in relation to work ethic so questions you know designed to ascertain people's work ethic because they're sort of the three things as a business owner or as an employer you're particularly interested in knowing the truth about early on and for me interviews typically take a really inauthentic pathway you know it's always a discussion around yeah what are your weaknesses oh my weaknesses are actually my strengths because I work too hard and I'm a perfectionist and you know you can write the script and it's just an exercise in you know bullshit excuse my French but and essentially then the first time you have a conflict or some you know uh you know difficult conversation that you need to have with 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 your team or with your staff member, you don't actually know how people, you know, what, what their values are and where they really sit. So, sorry, just to clarify, so do you use these as tools in your interview process? Well, so, yeah, the sequence of questions relate to those sort of umbrella uh, areas with the aim being to try and sort of understand the, um, the you know, the depth, I guess, I guess their abilities in head, heart and hand. And instead of sort of a lot of scenario-based things, again, taking it quite deep and to quite a personal space, which a lot of people are nervous about doing, but it's not uh, unreasonable to do that in an interview, in my in, in my view. So in, rather than talking about challenges that they might have had, you know, describe a challenge in a previous workplace that, that and how you got through that, it's actually like describe the biggest challenge in your life. Like go big and ask about that because that's where, that's where their real learning has probably happened that's where um, once you peel back that layer, if they're prepared to share that, I mean, obviously you invite people to share that. Uh, and it's not being nosy. Uh, and I preface things this way, you know, um, it's it's actually uh, understanding the essence of the person. And that for me is the goal of the interview, understanding the essence. So head, heart, hand. So um, the, yeah. um, what are some of the other questions that you might ask, like about work ethic? Have you got a question that you'd ask about that? Well, yeah, so a lot of that's uh, – I'm just trying to sort of think now because usually there's about sort of three or four questions on each area and they follow a bit of a sequence and it's about obviously building up trust, you know, in the interview as well. Uh, so in terms of work ethic specifically, it's usually back when, you know, they were growing up and and, and, and appreciating how people, you know, um, how they behaved back then. Behaviour, you know, demonstrates people's values and so if you can really get into what their behavior is outside of work so a lot of the information is not about what have you done in that last workplace it's 
is what do you do outside of work and really going deep? So what if I say I like, like snowboarding? How does that relate to my work ethic? So I, so I to test that. So for a start, I might think you to say that to sound good. I <laughs> and do you like snowboarding? So I'd probably ask three more questions on that. Do you? Do you really? I you do know, love and it. When, and but I can't do, do it okay. very often because it's, I've got to have a snowfield. Yeah, and what I'm doing here as well is I'm challenging you on what you've stated and I might even get your back up a little bit and that's perfectly, that's perfect. That's exactly what I want to do in an interview to some extent. I mean, you're not playing with people, but you actually want to actually disagree almost for the sake of disagreeing on a few points just to see how they'll react because when, when they get the job and they're in the workplace, guaranteed someone's going to disagree with them at some point and you actually want to see in the interview how people manage that and where they go. So you've, you've kind of got to orchestrate your questions a little bit more um, with, with it with not with it you know it is a bit of an agenda but I also then reveal that agenda so I'll then after that say well the reason why I said um, you know I'm asking you 10 questions on that is because da, 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 that's what we do around here that's what I want to know that's what I want to understand and then they'll respect you for that as well or they'll deselect themselves so the purpose of the interview as well is they'll go do you know what this is place is not for me um, you know and that's actually what you want you want people to deselect themselves at that interview stage rather than three months time you know having to sort of wrap them up on a probation type thing so the in terms of work ethic though and demonstrating that from snowboarding uh i mean i would ask how often you do that and uh and and really test i guess if that how how, how high that is up in the values and whether that sits within those seven areas because to get to find out if your physical health or your social time or your family time or what it is that's demonstrated by that snowboarding, then there's there's questions to, to drive me to that answer. So everything has meaning for me in an interview. The first one was head? Yes. So, yeah, I mean, that's right. And whether or not they've got the actual skills and the thinking, the capacity to do the job. You know, you obviously don't want someone coming in to be an orthopaedic surgeon if they haven't done the thinking around that in terms so, of the so, study. So you know. I'm aiming to become a barista. Yes. Um, would you ask me some technical questions about being a bar- barista? Is that how yeah, you drill I mean, down I, on that? Potentially, that's right. I mean, even though I'm talking about a lot of the interview taking up a lot of more sort of personal um, and, and values-based space and, and vision for themselves and where they've come from because their story's often there, uh, you do, of course, need to yeah, test technical skills if you're requiring them to do a technical job. So if I say my mother was an alcoholic, I basically had to raise my three little brothers and sisters and everything. Would you say that's a positive or a negative in the interview? Oh, potentially a positive, um, but it totally depends on what they've taken from that and where they sit with that now. Uh, and I'd try and I'd and I'd ask questions about that. So absolutely, drill, drill yeah. down. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And and so yeah, so workshops on 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 this is good. I mean, and tradespeople are a great sort of industry, I guess, to sort of touch on quickly with this because. Uh, you know, often the job is through a mate of a mate or a mate's oh. son or my mate's cousin or yeah. whatever and, you know, they Someone's come on board, they work. start, yeah, and they don't have, you know, uh, um, well, typically sort of smaller um, self-employed or sole traders that are taking on their first or second apprentice and so on. They don't have formal induction processes and ways to kind of find out in the first three weeks or six weeks if if that person's the right fit. And uh, and they often feel obligated to do a favour by someone if they know them and, and so on. But there there is merit in, in having these sort of conversations. And you can structure it formally or informally, but it's still sort of taking a formal course, I guess, before they start. And that's crucial. So, yeah, um, you know, I sort of run workshops on that kind of thing as well because it, it, it just gives you the heads up <laughs> before you, you know, before you start a relationship in a working way. 
It's a great idea. So um, do you also get called in when things go bad and you've got to yeah. Yeah. fire people? Yeah. So um, putting out fires. <laughs> yeah. Well, and – and this again, I guess is, yeah, for me, this is not like, that's normal. It's like the course of my year, like the, the challenges exist, they coexist, you know, everything's in a sort of polar opposite. So you, you can't feel happy without knowing what it feels like to feel sad as well. So th- that sort of stuff's going on all the time. Uh, and yeah, sadly with the younger demographic, uh, you know, I've just, I've become more aware, acutely aware, I guess, of addiction based issues, people with enormous financial pressure uh, at, as young people, um, more direct costs. I, you know, I don't know if that's just because they're, you know, operating phones or keeping up with everyone else with the latest and greatest of this or that and the other. Um, but yeah, there are real, very real pressures on young people, and and that plays out in the workplace. So so finding that out often happens after you know an incident has happened <laughs> at work. Uh, and health. I mean, all addiction-based issues. I just you know they're, they're they're health issues. So often people just get dismissed on that basis, whereas you know, I'd sort of potentially take a different approach with, with that kind of stuff because, um, yeah, there needs to be, again, more open conversation about what, what's going on for people. Awesome. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I hope that helps. No, that yeah. is really good. Like, I think that there's a lot in there with all these people who are small business owners out there. Um, well, for me, I know in my own situation, staffing has been one of the most difficult uh, areas to wrap my head around. And with someone with your experience, know-how, knowledge, insight, it's everyone can pick up just a couple of things that might help in that difficult situation that they're going through at the moment. Yeah. Or they're interviewing and they've been too scared to ask those questions. I mean, what you're saying is... Well, bring um, someone... I'd always say bring someone in to do that and just and let them do it with you and then you'll learn from that. And then it's confidence and volume. You know, it's just getting your own confidence in doing it, um, trying it, you know, and uh, and then and then doing more of it. Uh, you know that's usually how um, you know interview. typically you know they're really nervous so you can also be really nervous it's a normal thing to to be and, and I'm probably talking to a lot of people that aren't remotely nervous but I have had experience with a lot of you know new business operators that that um, when they're particularly appointing someone in a, in a specialized role with a certain skill set they feel you know a bit anxious and nervous about having those conversations with um, you know prospective employees and I talk, well, Daniel talks too about the CEO being the chief emotional officer. If it's not you, like if you're not the one that wants to have these deep conversations or you're not good at it, just let staff know that you're not that person, but find someone who is within the business. Um, and yeah, it's just about creating roads within the business for people to be able to go down if they need to. And also encouraging that culture right from the start, um, that that's, that's what you seek to do, you know, um, because the other real challenge I guess for small businesses is time you know they but we all have the same amount of time you know so Richard Branson can can run a you know an airline and this and that and everything else um, and he's only got the same amount of hours in the day as we have um, and so yeah, he's tremendously efficient with his time yeah so it's it's just yeah systems and stuff I guess as well and I'm you know it might sound all great from where I sit and uh, and I struggle with all of these things you know too so it's just yeah it's um it's just you know sharing ideas and trying, trying and helping each other. Fantastic. Well, time to wrap up. Thank you ever so much, Amber, for being a guest. Now, if people want to get your inspiration and insight, where do they go? Is it to, what's your website? Uh, so that's I have got a website. It's just a landing page at the moment under construction right now. So there's some yeah exciting email address maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. 
excellent. Amber chat. Well, sorry, Amber at uh, businesstherapist.com.au. You can reach me there, uh, and yeah, and, and stay tuned for businesstherapist.com.au as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Well, once again, thank you ever so much. You've been tremendous. It's been really enjoyable chatting to you today. Thanks, Amber. You're so welcome. Thanks so much, Kim.